Good morning, church. God speaks to us through his word in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning. Woo, buh. Hot mic. Hey, if you're new and you want to be a part of Coffee with a Pastor and you don't know where my office is at, you can go right down the hall there where the bathrooms are, and then my office is on the right next to the men's bathroom. Um, <clears throat> my name is Ben, by the way. If you're a guest, I'm really glad that you're here. I get to serve as uh, one of the elders here and, and lead pastor in this church. We have been preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, as the elders of the church felt like it would be necessary for us uh, to pause from our series uh, in 1 Corinthians and do a mini-series and address something that is uh, not very uh, culturally appropriate today. We feel like we want to talk to men in the room. What does it mean to be a man? We had an event uh, a few weeks back called Masculine Virtue, and God moved in a big way. We invited about, we had about 600 men in the room, uh, downtown Frontline, and um, and we were praying together, uh, studying the word together, and just learning what does the Bible say about manhood. And so we said, man, we really need to preach this. And there's a reason why we're preaching it on Sunday morning. There's a reason why we're not just hosting another men's conference. And one of the primary reasons is, maybe some of you are trying to figure this out, one of the primary reasons is, is that why preach to men uh, with women in the room? And the fact is this, there's multiple reasons we all need the gospel. We all need the Bible. We all need to hear what the Bible says to each other. But the other thing is men need women. Men need women. I, I in my life, I'm a single man, not married. And, um, and I, in my life, am so grateful for the many women in my life that God has given me to straighten me up at times, <laughs> to encourage me at times, to pray for me, to be a prophetic voice in my life and in my ministry. Men need women. And there's multiple reasons um, that I could go on and on about why men need women. I don't need to list them all, um, but there's a lot. And all the women in the room said amen because we believe that. But already I know that I probably lost some of you, even talking about the need for a series on men and women, the need for a series that preaches out of 1 Corinthians 16, and in particular today when it tells us to act like men and be strong. Last week, we covered the first part of this verse, which is stand firm and be watchful. This week is act like men and be strong, and then next week, and I agree, it's the most important week of all, let everything you do be done in love. If you weren't here last week, I would invite you to go back and listen to last week's sermon. I wish I could give you a total recap of all that was said last week, but I can't. It's just too much, and we got too much to do this week. You can go to frontlinechurch.com slash Shawnee, and there's a tab where you can find all of our sermons that we ever preach. This week, act like men. Be strong. Culturally speaking, we're basically waging war with even quoting that phrase. I mean, not us, in fact, but the gospel. Paul says we should rightly divide the word of truth, he tells young Timothy. 
I have a job to do today to do that. And I'm going to just be honest with you. I'm doing it with fear and trembling. I always do, but especially today. When I read the phrase, men, act like men, be strong, I say to myself, yes, that's what I want to do. And then I also say to myself, I don't feel strong. (laughs) I don't feel strong. I don't feel courageous. I don't feel faithful. I stand with fear and trembling like a lot of you men do in this room. Paul says again, rightly divide the word of truth. That's my goal today. Hebrews gives it to us straight and then makes us straighten up. Says this in Hebrews 4. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Interesting to think about that. Think about all the young Bible majors that we have in the room who we love. It's a good thing to major in. But in light of this passage for all of us, if the word doesn't pierce your heart, then it's just another puzzle to try and figure out and fit into your ideals. And today, we need the word of God to pierce our heart. So I'm preaching specifically to men, but not only to men today. I'm asking us, per usual, men and women, let's perk up. Let's let the Bible do its work in us. We desperately need it. And men, the world desperately needs you. It needs you to be a man. It needs you to be the man that God has called you to be. It needs you to be humble and teachable. It needs you to submit to Jesus. It needs you to be courageous and faithful. It needs you to start paying attention. We need that today. So I'm going to ask you to pay attention, perk up. Let the word of truth divide you. Let it separate wheat from chaff today. Act like men. Be strong. Why not just act like people? The reality is this, is that men and women have a lot in common, a lot to share in, both made in the image of God, both completely equal in their value, their dignity, and their worth, both heirs to the throne of grace. Both are equally saved and a part of the family. Both men and women are called, listen to me, to pursue Christ individually and together. Both are called to maturity, to pursue the fruit of the Spirit. Both are called to discipleship and training, heart, soul, mind, and strength, to understand God and how he will work, how he has worked, and how he is working in the world. That's called theology, both men and women, all of those things. So many things that we share, but in so many ways we are different, and we are differently, uniquely made to complement one another by God's design and for his glory. glory. And also not just for God, but also for our flourishing. Following Jesus means we allow him to be king, although he doesn't need our permission, And we follow his lead to restore and redeem even genders, even and especially masculinity and femininity. This this fall, we're actually going to preach a sermon series on femininity as well. And the goal here is not to separate 
is not to divide, but to unify, which actually works. It actually works. God designed this whole thing, and it works. Following Jesus means we allow him to be king. Men need specific encouragement. Men need specific correction that specifically line up with how God has uniquely made them. Women need the same. The Bible has multiple corrections and warnings for men that are different than for women and vice versa. We need redemption. Men We need confidence and a renewed heart. We need repentance. We need to be able to stand firm. We need courage and clear vision for how God has made us act like men. Be strong, Paul tells us. What does it mean to act like a man? Specifically translated, it means this. Basically, have courage. Be courageous. Essentially, be courageous, and be strong. Hey, man, look at, look at me. That's the charge for us today. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the charge. Act like men. Be strong. Have courage. Be strong. Be courageous. And I'm not going to do this, but if I took a poll of how many men in the room would raise their hand and say, I feel courageous, I'm not sure that any of us would raise our hand. It's be courageous. It's have moral courage. It's following Jesus means that I do the right thing. No matter what, I will, it will inevitably cost me something, probably a lot, but I will stand against the tide to follow Jesus. That's moral courage, theological courage. Truth leads me. I'm not void of emotion, but they don't rule me. Instead, I acknowledge my emotions and submit them to Jesus and my community to, know, to grow me and know me so that I'm not driven by them. I lead people to the truth. I lead people to who God actually is. I'm not swayed by what they think of me. At the end of the day, we're not void of people's opinions, but we stand and do the right thing even in the face of the gust of culture. We need moral courage and theological courage. We need relational courage. I recognize the necessity of people in friendships. I care to be vulnerable, give people my presence and strength and weakness so that I participate in community, leading the way to help build and cultivate people, not avoiding people. And then physical courage means I work with my hands. I work with my mind and my heart. I'm keeping and working and cultivating. Cultivating the land doesn't have as much to do with agriculture as it does the land of the home, the land of your friends, the land of your coworkers and your wife and your job and your kids, your money, the land of your money, cultivating it. Leading and serving Jesus by modeling it. Hard work to give yourself away to whatever God has assigned for you right now. Ephesians 4 says it this way, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. What does that mean? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. 
by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Grow up into Christ, not be tossed to and fro. We need courage and strength. Of course, the world has twisted and deformed this. In the world, courage and strength looks like a guy that drives a truck, works out a lot, and loves conflict. Although he can't have a serious conversation, has no grid or emotional maturity, can't keep a job, has little true virtue, and wouldn't bother to help an old lady across the street if no one was watching. That's what a twisted world has shown us courage looks like. It looks a lot more like faithfulness. A man that honors his commitment, honors his word, a man that keeps covenant to his wife and loves and serves his kids, might not have ever shot a gun, nothing wrong with that, might not have ever owned a truck, I actually have done both of those things, might not have ever deadlifted, but he's a lot stronger and more courageous than the other guy because the source of his strength is what Paul says, I pray that you will be strengthened in your inner man, courage and strength. There's a thing in men. It's put in us. We all love hero movies. I love them. Anything involving Clint Eastwood, anything involving one man that defeats everybody, I'm all about. We love hero movies. Men have something in them that's just a little bit ingrained. We want to slay the dragon. We want to save the day. However, true masculine courage and strength looks a lot more like faithfulness than dragon slaying. It's a life of humble service and leadership to your family, <coughs> leadership to your neighborhood, friends, and church. It's saying yes to what God wants you to do and not under your own conditions. It's a life submitted to and led by Jesus. The parable that Jesus tells us about a man, two men that build a home. One built his house on the sand. The foundation was sneaky to say the least. A storm comes, and it comes for everybody. The storm comes, and the man who built his house on the sand, his house was blown down. Another man built a house, except this one built a house on a firm foundation on a rock. And the storm came and blew on his house, and his house stood. What is courage and faithfulness? What is courage and strength? It's being faithful to build your house and continue to build it on the rock, Jesus. So today we're going to look at a story about a man who had very little courage. He was weak. He was hiding. He was devastated. God comes to him and does what I think he wants to do in us today. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Judges chapter 6. <coughs> I'm using a handheld today, and I apologize. I've been coughing for a solid month. And, um, and so I'm going to try not to cough into the microphone, although I've already forgotten about that and coughed twice. So I'm sorry for the people recording in the back. Judges chapter 6. Hey, there ain't nothing wrong with going to the table of contents, figure out what page it's on, by the way, if you need to do that. In Judges chapter 6, uh, we get the same song, second verse. 
the people of God have rebelled against God. Imagine that. God had provided for them, given them land, given them crops, but they forgot where water came from, and they forgot who gave them that, and they rebelled against God, which happens to us. God provides and we rebel. In Judges chapter 6, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves dens that are in the mountains and caves that are in strongholds. This is the tale of humanity all the way back to Genesis 3. This idea that we can be God, what the people of Israel, what they had done is they thought we don't actually need God anymore. And they started doing evil in the sight of the Lord as opposed to giving credit where credit is due. And they said, this is all ours. We have done this. Man has built these things. Man is capable of so much more without God. In Genesis 3, you've got the temptation in the garden that says, you can be God. I know God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the serpent comes to Eve and he says, did God actually say that? Really what would happen? And she believes the lie and her husband believes the lie. He's not like absent. He's not like out there somewhere. Adam is right next to her, going right along, avoiding his call to protect and serve his wife, avoiding his call to point out lies and enlarge the voice of God. God had said to her, don't eat of the tree, you will die. They were totally satisfied, but she believed, and Adam believed, you can be God. And that's what the people and judges believe. <clears throat> we don't need God. So what we get is we rebel against God, and instead of life, we get death. Instead of our sin giving us what we thought it would, we thought our sin, we thought our rebellion, we thought the tree would give us true humanity. We thought autonomy would give us finally true freedom, the kind of freedom that we feel like we deserve. We end up losing our humanity. God's people were driven out of the land that God had given them. And now they're living in dens and caves. Now just take a snapshot of this scene. They said, we're better without God. We don't need the stuff he's given us. And what happens is, is they lose their humanity. Dens and caves. Freedom from God isn't freedom at all. It's just bondage. Now the people are brought low. They've lost their identity and their land. Verse 6, and Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. It takes this. It takes this sometimes. It takes this amount of brokenness and desperation. It takes being brought low to cry out to God. I wish there was another way, but it's not. Not for me and not for you. There's many people in the room today that feel incredibly brought low. I'm glad you're here. I really am. Sometimes it takes this. Sometimes it takes dens and caves in order for us to hear God. We cry out to him, and God does what he does. He always comes when we cry out. Verse 11, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, 
O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with me, why then has all this happened to us? And why are we all, and where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. The angel of the Lord comes to him. The angel of the Lord here is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is the Lord who comes himself to Gideon to save his people, to save Gideon. He is a savior to the uttermost. When most people would say, or a lot of people would say, where is Jesus in the Old Testament? The fact is this, is that all of history points to Jesus. All of the Bible points to him as well. And here we have the angel of the Lord who was God himself, Jesus, coming to save his people. He is a savior. He would save them ultimately on the cross and now on a throne. Gideon was a part of the devastation that had happened to his people. He wasn't exempt. He's not doing his best to serve his people. Gideon is in the wine press hiding from his people, his father, and the Midianites. Instead of fighting, he's a very scared young man, defeated. He changed his life and even his chores to match his new identity. And his new identity is this, not courageous. I mean, think about this. This young man obviously knew how to work in a wine press. This young man knew how to work and gather for his people. He's working at night now. He's changed his entire structure of his life because he has believed this lie. You are not courageous. You don't have it. You ain't got it. Your people don't have it. They ain't got it. You need to hide your life, redirect your whole life, the way that you live, the way that you work in the day, how you carry yourself, what you believe in, how you walk. It's got to match your new identity, which is not courageous, weak, not strong. And then the angel of the Lord comes to him and does something that he offers to all of us and that if you're in Christ, he's done for us. The angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, comes to Gideon, and he gives him a new name. He re-identifies him. What would you say to a man who's hiding? What would you say for a man that can't even work in the day? What would you say to him? How would you talk to him if you were his boss? <laughs> hey, man, I know it's tough, but you can't. You know, I figured out. Do the work. I know you feel weak or whatever, but I don't really have time to talk to you about why you're weak. We need you to do something different than what you're doing. You snap out of it. That's how I talk to myself. But God comes and has a whole other tone. And here's what God says to him First and foremost, men, listen. First and foremost, your identifier is this, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. That's your identifier. He is not absent from you. He's not hiding. God never sleeps nor slumbers. 
The Lord is with you in everything that you do, even in your weakness, even when you hide in the wine press, God is with you. Nothing is more crucial to our identity as men than this. We can be who he's called us to be because of this fact and only this. God is with us. The second is this. He says, the Lord is with you, and then he calls him something. Oh, mighty man of valor. Oh, mighty man of valor. To the guy hiding. True valor comes from his identity with God, which is I am named by God. I identify with the Father because of what God has said, because of what he's done, because of what he's promised, because of how faithful he is. I can be courageous and be faithful. Identity now changes. We're not just men doing a job and hiding. We're men of God, not men of fear, not men of darkness, not men of selfishness or hiddenness. We have a new identity. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. I bet he didn't feel like he had might. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? The Bible doesn't consist of a bunch of heroes. Gideon would be in that list if it did, but it's not. All of these men that God called out, Moses, David, Abraham, Jacob, and Gideon, they were all had multiple things in common. And it wasn't how confident they were. It was because of how frail and fragile and sinful and fearful they were and how much all of them needed a Savior. God comes to him and says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Go in this might of yours, the identifier that I am of God. I am his son. He is my father. Jesus is my older brother. Because of the work that he has done, I have a new identifier. Go in this might of yours. It belongs to you, what God has done. And because of what God has done, because of the way that he has identified us, not because of how strong we are, but in fact because of how weak we are. We could not save ourselves. Now we're men of mission. He tells him, go, save Israel from the hand of Midian. And just in case you're wondering who sent you, it was me, the Lord your God, who brought back people from Egypt, who brought people out of the hand of Pharaoh. Now we're men of mission because of our confidence in who sends us. Act like men. Be strong. The presence of God is what gives us strength. He names us. He puts courage in us and on us. Courage that we didn't have before because we didn't know him or because we forgot about him. The Lord said to him, verse 16, but I will be with you. and You shall strike the Midianites as one man. Can you imagine the questions that must have been going through Gideon's head at this point? Excuse me? You said, I'm going to strike the Midianites with, as one man. What do you mean? They have overthrown our entire nation. I'm not strong enough. This can't be real. Am I dreaming? I don't know the way. <laughs> it's an entire nation of people. God's reassurance and courage is actually the strength we need to be faithful to whatever he's called us to do, even if we can't see the outcome. 
faithful in your work, faithful in your marriage, faithful to your church, steady and solid because of God. Today, you're saying, I know you are. I don't feel strong. Neither did Gideon. Verse 17, and he said to him, Gideon, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. Show me a sign, Gideon said. This man had heard audibly the voice of God. He had confirmed that he was an angel of the Lord. He had encouraged him, put courage in him. And among many other things, and Gideon says, I need, I need a sign to know that it is you. It's like God's word is probably pretty good. <laughs> he had heard from God himself and still doubts. So I remember a story a few years back, a young man that was leading and serving in our church. And, and um, I, had, I feel like I'd gotten a picture from God for him. Um, we, had, we were planting a church in another state. And I felt like I, I literally saw this guy come up to me and um, crying in tears and saying to me, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to go be a part of that church plan. And that day that I got that picture, that young man came up to me in tears and he said, hey, I think I'm supposed to be a go part of that church plan verbatim. I said, that's funny you said that. I think you should too. You want to know why? <laughs> God literally did what he never does with me. He gave me this exact picture, this exact thing for you. And he's crying tears. He's like, man, this is crazy. I said, yeah. And I said, well, let's touch base in a couple more days. Pretty soon, one or two more people had the same, without talking to him, had the same type of confirmation, same type of picture for him. Coming up to them, it's like, confirmation times three times four times five. I met with a young man three days afterwards. And I sat with him. I said, so what are you thinking? He goes, man, I just, I just wish God would like write on the wall or something and tell me whether or not I should go. I was like, I don't know if God writing on the wall would be more impactful or obvious than what he's already done for you. Here's Gideon scared to death. Doing what every man here does, it doesn't matter how much confirmation we have through the Bible, through friends, or whatever, we still doubt God, which is actually good news for us today. Because God did not abandon Gideon, which I would have. I would have said something sarcastic like I did to the young man. I'd be like, what are you thinking? What more do I have to do? God, in his patience, plays along. <laughs> Verse 19, Gideon went to his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah on the floor, a flour. The meat he put in a basket, and the broth he put in a pot, and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. What's happening here is he's saying, I need another sign. And the angel of the Lord, pre-incarnate Christ, says, okay, fine. <laughs> and the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock. And pour the broth over them. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord reached out to the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived <laughs> that he was the angel of the Lord. Thank you, Gideon. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, 
Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. God is patient. The world and the curse men, this world and this curse that we're under have beaten us into shame, despair, anxiety. It tells us that God is not real and we're not wanted by him. We become named and identified by our insecurities, not trusting ourselves or our Father. We demand signs to prove his worth and his word. And when he's the only one, God is the only one who's actually always been true to his word. His response is the same for you today, men. His response is the same. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's kind. He's not like us. He doesn't waver. In the house of Gideon, where the scared young man scurried with his father's food to go and meet the Lord to see if God could be trusted, God indeed met him. God is here to meet us today in his house with his food to once again prove his faithfulness. Listen to me, men, you are called and you are sustained by God. To act like men means to be courageous because of what God has done. To be strong means to be faithful because of how God sustains. Having courage and being faithful looks a whole lot like a man who's true to his word, who trusts Jesus with his insecurities, who fights for the faith, who fights and lays his life down for the people around him, a man who's a churchman, who worships, who stands when the gale force winds of culture are telling him, you're not worthy, <laughs> you're not worth it, you shouldn't even be talking the way that you are, you shouldn't even be thinking about yourself as a man. Courage to stand and say, I'm a man, I'm a man of God. I'm a man of God. I'm gonna pursue God. I'm gonna pursue humility. I'm gonna pursue the fruit of the spirit. I'm gonna be a shade tree for the people around me. I'm gonna be courageous because of God. I'm gonna be faithful because of God. I'm gonna provide shade. This word terebinth, this is a tree. The angel of the Lord said, bring your stuff, bring your goods, everything you've got, put it under the tree. God provides shade for Gideon so that he can provide shade. That's the call for us today, men, to provide shade, dignity, honor, value, worth. You are called and sustained by God. He does both works in us today. He puts courage in us, and then he stables us to be strong and faithful. If you belong to Jesus, he has the same words for you that he had for Gideon, and it's this. Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Because of the work of Jesus, the perfect man, it's true for you today, men. God will sustain your life. He will sustain your life.
trick is this, man. <laughs> You've heard this parable a thousand times, but honestly, where is your house built? Where's it built? You know what sand is? I love sand. I love the beach. I'm all about it. I talk about it constantly from the stage, how much I love the beach. Sand is shifty. It's kind of fun to walk on. It's kind of weird feeling. There's nothing stable about it. And they're all the things that we put in our life that we assign stability to, our paycheck and even our countenance at times and even our experience and all of those things that we say, okay, I'm going to be okay because of my experience and, <coughs> and my paycheck and all of that is sand. It's all sand. It shifts. And ironically, the storm that comes in your life is usually the one that takes the sand out from under you. Job loss, paycheck gone. Marriage struggles. Confidence gone. But it, to build your house on a rock, listen to me. To build your house on a firm foundation, there's literally only one thing. It's not the stuff you have or how hard you work or your expertise or whatever it is, man. There's literally just one thing because when a storm inevitably comes, it's not just overnight. I mean, this is like seasons of life of storms. To build your house on a rock means I'm, even when the storm comes, I'm not avoiding it. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. What I am saying is I feel crazy and a little bit out of my mind, and I don't know if I can do it. I want to hide in a wine press. But I remember something. God told me that he is with me, that he won't forsake me, that he'll never leave me. God told me that. And I may not be trustworthy to my word all the time. Sometimes I even forget what my word was. But God remembers everything, and he's never once wavered off of what he says. So you're kept. You're kept. And the best thing about it is God is not like us. That's my problem. I think that God is flippant like me. I think that God is forgetful like me. And Lord, have mercy on us all if he is. I don't remember what happened 12 minutes ago. God never forgets. If he said it once, he says it through eternity. You are his son. If, in fact, you belong to Jesus, you are his, and he is yours. He calls you beloved. How do you stand? How do you do it? How do you stand firm? How do you be courageous and faithful? It <laughs> Remember who you are. Remember who you belong to. Again, in Gideon's house, he got food together. He went under the tree. The Lord proved it to him, and that's what we do every Sunday. We get food together. We come under the shade tree of the word of God and his church. We approach the throne of grace with confidence in God. And we say the thing that we all struggle to think, say because we're so, we hate vulnerability. We admit, I forgot who God is. I forgot who I am this whole week. So every Sunday, we need the reminder, the great feast of the people of God.
All right, I, before we take the table, I, quickly, I want to invite the men in the room to stand up. 